Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Yeah, it's good to be with you on this Erev Shabbos HaGadol. Oh yes, Erev Shabbos HaGadol is right, and Rabbi Yudin will have plenty to say coming up on that topic, and uh, we have plenty to do uh, in terms of the news of the day. We've been discussing all morning and alluding to uh, what has happened uh, overnight, and uh, we know about the airstrike that President Trump called for that the United States military has executed at this point. Uh, was this the proper response by the United States to the events in Syria this week? I do think it was an appropriate response. I think it was a necessary response that the president could not have allowed this act to go unanswered. It, it, and it's not the first time that they've used it. The difference, I think, this time is that uh, both the scale and the fact that the it was near the Turkish border, and the Turks allowed the media to go in and cover it and show the results of this of this horrific uh, chemical weapon and how the kind of agonizing deaths and, and injuries that it causes. I think that the uh, message to the region, the message to the Iranians, the message to the Syrians, and even to the Russians is a very important one. Uh, I, I hope that they have a broader plan in mind. I hope that they've thought about the next steps and, and the consequences. Um, but doing it with the missiles so that there were no American planes involved, having given the Rudish, Russians advance notice, um, I think overall it was a, an important uh, decision. And uh, a time to come to terms with what you want to see emerge out of uh, the situation in Syria, just to allow the Iranians and Russians to keep the, their puppet in place and things remain as, as the Iranians consolidate their hold, something you know that we've talked about here yeah. consistently. Uh, right, you alluded to a couple of things. First of all, so so because of the media attention this time, it became much more well-known around the world, both the news of the attack and the, the aftermath of the results, so to speak, the, the horrific results of the attack. So, so you're you're telling us that this, this happens more often than we think or or, or has happened too many times where it's been ignored or ignored to you know to a degree right i think the latter but it's not just that there are reports there were reports earlier people have have given anecdotal evidence but here the video this video and when people see it and there's horrendous sights that uh, frankly i couldn't even watch um that really is it makes a big difference when did he decide to do this do you think it was only minutes after this attack that the president said we must uh, jump into action and uh, and 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 uh, and do something well i don't know that he could have decided that it should be tomahawks from uh, boats off our coast ships off the, the coast of uh, syria but uh, i think that there are, are always contingency plans in place but the security cab- cabinet met and I guess made the recommendation to the president, and he authorized it. No question that Russia knew about it in advance that they were informed. Right. Yes. Um, and um, I would guess there are a handful of other countries that were informed in advance. It may well be that they were given notice before it took place. But in the case of Russians, the goal was to avoid hitting any Russian um, pilots or personnel. And as well as uh, Russian planes, there aren't that many there. And this is a Syrian military base. It's not inside right. the city. It's a military base. 
but it's the one from which the the planes were launched that carried the uh, chemical weapons, and that's but, why it was targeted. But with the uh, but with the uh, well, with whatever level of Russian you know presence or involvement there is there, is is there a case to lay some blame at Russian authorities that it's likely that they knew about this attack or knew that it was about to happen? I mean, to what degree should we assume that uh, I don't know Vladimir Putin or anybody else you know along the line knew that this was going to occur? I don't think that they authorized the use of chemical weapons. I don't even know if Assad authorized it. Uh, it would certainly raise questions about the judgment uh, of who gave the okay for this to be used. They can't acknowledge it, so they can't prosecute. They can quietly uh, deal with it, the Syrian army within Syria. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is an intimidation weapon. This is This is a weapon that I think Assad, after having been told just the day before that, and, and statements coming from Washington, statements coming from other places that, you know, we're leaving in place, we don't want to do regime change. I think Nikki Haley, others were involved in making statements uh, about it. Um, so maybe he felt that he had a license, that he was secure, that, that whatever reaction wouldn't be severe. And that this he, he knows the power of this weapon. The Russians are very reluctant because they suffered a lot from chemical weapons. So I, I think pub, in public opinion would not sit well in Russia if they thought that the Russian government had, had authorized the, the use of this weapon. I don't think anywhere would it sit well uh, where they had been involved. The Iranians are known to use pretty extreme measures, certainly Hezbollah and some of the other terrorist organizations, but this had to be um, uh, involving the Syrian Air Force which means traces back to the Syrian government. And the level, how high it goes up, I don't know if we'll ever know. And and that area was targeted because that area is held by rebels and essentially enemy of the current government, right? Right. All right. Um, uh, You mentioned a Russian particular sensitivity to chemical weapons and the reason for it. Uh, Interesting. Uh, There's certainly a Jewish uh, sensitivity toward gas and chemical weapons, to say the least. And I would say that this attack uh, affected our community uh, it, 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 tremendously in terms of the uh, the aftermath and, pe- and watching people in our community watch what was going on there. Curious then what the reaction was from Israel. Anything more than the usual condemnation? Well, the Prime Minister supported uh, the President's action along with, I think, Canada and England. I'm not sure too many others have come out. Only, uh, I know Russia and Iran have come out in condemnation. And if you want to choose a side to be on, I think it's pretty clear uh, which side we should be on? Yeah, well, I was referring the, combination of the chemical attack, right? Right, and, and but they, I don't think they had any advance warning, and they, the Israeli reaction was very strong across the board. The prime minister, the president, members of Knesset, and many called for right. action to be taken. And you know that Israel obviously has been very involved. And they're very worried about the use of such weapons because mm-hmm. they can be transported on a missile uh, head or by plane to, to Israel as well. And they've been threatened with them before. <laughs> and he, they have threatened them with the use of it. In the right. meantime, Israel is treating the people. You know that, that now they've surpassed 3,000 Syrians who have come to Israeli hospitals for treatment, who've been brought in under the circumstances I've described before, so I won't do it again. But right. when you go there in the middle of the night, you're standing in the cold, and you see these young soldiers going into Syria to take out uh, even adult, not just children who, who were victims of, of attacks or were very sick and couldn't get treatment. Some of them were in Israeli hospitals for extended stays and at no cost. And this is, uh, you know, it's put a tremendous burden both on the medical facilities but also on, on the government. So 
Israel, I think, has demonstrated uh, that it, it, it not only does it respond in word, it responds in deed. Oh, no question about that. And in this, in this case also, because I saw there was, there, there was somewhat of, of conflicting reports whether Israel would be able to help uh, infants and others who are victims of this specific attack. Yeah, well, it's a problem of transporting them from there. Uh, and, you know, many times in Syrians that I met had traveled, but they were able, especially when there was a child involved or something, so they went under the guise of visiting uh, relatives. They're not allowed to legally go. This has to be done surreptitiously. But you can't, I think, move these people. You need a doctor really to tell us. But right. I think that I, I, I've heard and read that uh, transporting them was not a prospect. Um, uh, one would think the Arab states, using the word collectively for a moment, the term collectively for a moment, uh, w- would be thrilled with this U.S. action. Any reason to believe that they are not? Oh, I have every reason to believe that this is exactly what they've been waiting for. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet with President Sisi in Washington uh, with a group this, this week. And uh, if you look what King Abdullah said as well, uh, this is something they've been looking for. They want America to re-engage. They want to see strength. And in fact, uh, many of them cited, many others in the region, cited the the uh, catalyst for all of this was when, uh, under President Obama, the decision was made not to fire, and we turned our guns around after the violation, the clear violation of the red line he established on the use of chemical weapons, right. and that that was the signal to Putin to go into Crimea. This was, you know, that, that America would not act with resolve. And this tells tells them at least they are hoping that this is a sign that America is reengaging. Yeah, uh, the analysis that that's uh, the headline of the Jerusalem Post right now coincidentally says Trump's strike on Syria makes it clear the Americans are back and that's what you're referring to of course. Um, and many people fear that this could escalate to turn into I don't know an all out whatever battle war and whatever other term you want to use but we know from history that often attacks like this prevent further action and further war. Do you think Assad could remain quiet? And along with the Russians, you know, sort of let this time pass without any either retaliation or anything that would heat things up? Well, we saw it when Israel hit and they came out with very boisterous statements and threats. But I think that Iran, when we fired back at the, their little ships that were harassing our boats and our, our destroyers and uh, military uh, uh, vessels in, in the Straits of Hormuz and other places, and when we struck back, they did nothing. And this is something we tried to talk to the previous administration about over and over again, is that they keep testing for weakness, and where they meet restraint, they will back off. Where they see that they meet strength, and not restraint, I should say, then then they respond in kind, not by acting, but by pulling back. And, and it, you know, terrorists probe for weakness all the time and exploit it. And that's why I think that the you know, you may see some response, some sort of action could be sanctioned, something else that, that Russia does. You might see some actions uh, on the ground, but very limited. And they have no American targets really to hit. We have uh, very limited resources on the ground. Yeah, but there's always some form of retaliation. I mean, I don't want to... Not always. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, terror attacks, kidnappings, I mean, there there are there are options for, you know... For, for those who want to retaliate against America to, to make a statement and do so. But um, one of them, in fact, might be a U.N. resolution against the United States. But that's probably not going to happen, right? 
No, I don't think we have to worry about that. <laughs> I think, first of all, it would be vetoed by the U.S. If not, I think Britain and others would certainly uh, gang up in the same way that Russia prevented uh, a resolution of condemnation of, of Syria in the Security Council, uh, Russia and China. So for those of us who are and frustrated... And to think about the implications for the visit of the president to China, who's here, right. and an ally who considers himself certainly an ally of Russia but also probably of, of Assad. Does that add to the timing of the whole episode? The fact that no. Not at all. Coincidental. Totally coincidental. Right. Um, uh, back to the UN for a second. So those of us who are, who've been frustrated that there was no official UN resolution, the, the ones to be frustrated are, at, uh, at, are the Russians because they're the ones who vetoed it and, and nothing would move further without their approval. That's the one we should be angry at our... Right. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Trying not to call attention to my inabilities to speak, and you have to go ahead and do that. So, uh, and, and in terms of the type, I mean, are there? In I I know I sound ignorant on this, but I am. Uh, are, are there that many levels or types of chemical gases that this one is, you know, considered, you know, so lethal compared to others? Like the fact they use this one, right, Saren. Right. In fact, you know, shows a a different level. Of, of engagement, a different level of what they were trying to accomplish. Yes, I do think that, that this crosses another red line, the fact that sarin, which is really horrific and kills, and um, uh, so, yes, that that is considered a, a, another level. The, the crime is the same when you use chemical weapons. That's against international law. But this um, was was, in fact... Um, they now found the traces of the sarin gas. Right. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world and the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, in our beloved NSN app. All right, we'll bounce around and uh, likely get back to Syria at some point. So in the meeting with uh, President Sisi, did he mention anything to you about a summer summit where the U.S. would, in fact, sponsor some type of Mideast peace summit over the next few months and to try to make progress in terms of a deal between the PA and Israel? No, he did not. He did talk about the desire to have peace. He, he made references to it, but it was obviously not a uh, priority. He talked about all of the situations in the region and, frankly, answered uh, questions very fully and uh, when he wanted to. Uh, the the um, obviously very concerned about the outcome of Syria and what conflict there, what happens in Libya. Um, talked about Gaza. Talked about the Palestinians and and his hope that something can move forward. But to say that this was uh, that the summit was major emphasis, and I think that people are backing off, starting to back off at least from what I see uh, from that because well, that's that pretty takes quick. a lot of preparation and it takes a lot of work to be able to do that. Yeah, but that's pretty fast. Was it, didn't the president just discuss it with him this week? Yes, but this is something I obviously that, uh, may, or I shouldn't say obviously, but perhaps had been under discussion right. earlier. And it, it may have been just an idea that, that was thought about in Washington and then brought to them, and King Abdullah was there, and as you know, the Saudis were here earlier, and, and there were hints at you know, the possibility of a summit of the U.S. reengaging. But to do that, you have to really be prepared. You have to uh, have the ducks in place. You can't just have an exploratory meeting again, or it will end up like the Madrid meeting and others in the past that, you know, we're, we're, we have to know what's going to come out of it before you sit down to it. Well, some might actually say the Madrid meeting was, was fruitful, but uh, whatever. I guess we could argue that. 
Um, uh, why uh, why is there, according to an article I saw on your website, uh, still so much animosity um, from Egyptian residents, Egyptian citizens toward Israel, if we've had this peace agreement for so many decades? And it seems people like you, other Jewish leaders, certainly uh, the prime minister, are able to, to meet civilly with the president of Egypt. Um, look, the, 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 what did you see on our website? An article about the that despite this amazing relationship, quote unquote, between CC and Jewish leadership, oh, the is, polling about it, right? Correct. So uh, this was an issue we discussed uh, that was discussed with the president. Uh, I didn't hear the part about the polling, which is true that all the polls show that there still remains a high level of residual animosity. But he said that there is a, a major shift in, in the press and in other things. You know that he changed the textbooks, unlike what's going on in Gaza, where the textbooks are getting worse. And we have, ev- we have, we have evidence the of the change? There's real evidence of the change? He says yes. Uh, I know what the polling says, but he said that there is a real change. He said that the, the, and has said to me in the past that, you know, the issue of the Palestinian thing, until it's resolved, that that is a major obstacle to moving forward. Uh, in, in there and in other Arab countries, because it's a street issue, it's a, they appeal to the street, and you know it's an issue of pride, it's an issue of identification uh, with fellow Arabs. Even though you know in many other cases, there such identification, solidarity is quite absent. Uh, but you know it's true in Morocco, it's true in Jordan, it's true in all the Arab countries where the percentage of those who express hostile uh, sentiments is in the 80 and 90 percentiles. So it's it's a long term thing which which involves changing things from the ground up, meaning the education process, meaning the what goes on in the media, and we have seen changes there, but it takes a long time till it permeates society. And when you have, you still have Muslim brother, you have a lot of extremist forces who who rant against Israel, but he he talked about the role of Al Azhar, which is the intellectual center, religious center, in, in Cairo for all of the Muslim world. Uh, becoming a vehicle for pr- promoting moderation, which he has tried to do uh, in in Egypt. And as I said, the textbooks acknowledge the peace process, the peace agreement at Camp David, uh, which previously was not the case. And you contrast that with what is happening in the PA, which refused the, the entreaties of of UNESCO uh, and to impose their standards for peace and tolerance, and the the PA curricula does not do that at all. And in fact, if we've seen anything that it moved uh, to a more, a more greater degree of radicalization uh, of young Palestinians, and this was devised by the ministry, overseen by the ministry, and um, and it talks about you know the maps show uh, the Arab Palestine encompassing all of Israel, including all of Israel. Yeah, when I um, asked when I asked about evidence, I'm I'm curious if anybody actually saw the textbooks, <laughs> like because yes, 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 right, that's absolutely, what I mean, right. of course. Because often you know they'll say something and make claims, and no, uh, no, this is not claims from him. This is uh, statements that were in the Israeli press from people who got actually hold of the textbooks, and you know they're monitored. We study these things because this is how you shape the minds of the next oh, yeah. the, the next generation, and it's it's horrific, and that's why the PA paying money to to the uh, ter- terrorists. Is encouraging them. It's giving the hechsher to it. It's 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 um, authorizing people to kill because they know their families will receive. They will receive if they get killed. Then the families get it. By the way, uh, I, I saw the Knesset, you know, proposal to to make it illegal. I, I can't believe it's not officially illegal yet. 
well, this is to take the money out of the budget. It's not the question that it's not legal. Of course, it's illegal, but it's uh, it, but it's to take the money out of the budget. It's it's a parallel measure to the Taylor for, Force Law, which is before the Congress of the United States now. And I hope everybody will write their congressmen to support it, which says that we don't take away all the money from the PA because now, uh, Israelis and others have opposed it because it will co- cause a collapse and the burden fall on Israel as the power there. But the the, uh, they will take away the amount of money that the PA spends on these, you know, benefits um, and, understood. and all sorts in, in, of pensions. In other words, the money that Israel is supposed to transfer to the PA. From that would right. be deducted. Oh, now I, okay, I didn't understand that. Now I got it. Um, actually, that would be great. I'm fascinated by, the, by your ability to, or your, cap- your um, opportunity, I should say, to, to discuss you know, different things openly with Sisi. What does he say to you about Gaza? What does he say to you about the Hamas stronghold there and the influence of Iran and others in that region? I actually asked him that. That's funny. Uh, and, um, you know, he spoke about the, the powers that are some that are, are meddling in the, in the region. It was an obvious reference I think to Iran and, and Turkey, uh, you know, he's very concerned about the radicalization there and what what is going to happen there. And and I asked him also, I mean, how can you push a peace process in a summit? Who's going to represent Gaza? Are you going to do it with half the Palestinians and you know just the West Bank and not with Gaza? And he, he spoke about it, and uh, you know, it was an off the record meeting, so I don't want to quote anything that he said, but the. You know, he takes it very seriously, and he is fighting it. He has done a great deal, he, and he spoke about his efforts to close the tunnels and other things, to, to, uh, and they restrict entry of weapons. They, they've done a great deal to try and change the situation in Gaza. The problem is that you have the Iranians developing ways to bypass it, providing more and more advanced missiles that are smuggled in. Some of it gets caught. Uh, by Israel, by them, by the Egyptians, uh, but most of, much of it doesn't. You know, they drop off these pods from ships that then uh, Palestinian fishermen pick up. So the Israeli Navy patrols and catches it sometimes, but not all the time. Has Hamas, in fact, as they claim, uh, softened their position on Israel in their revised charter? No. It, 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 they, you know, create this fiction that they that they have somehow moderated it, but the fact is, it still does not recognize the right of Israel or Israel's existence. By the way, you know, back to Syria for a moment, and I think this is related to an extent. The subway bombing in Saint Petersburg. So, is that an Al Qaeda attack? Is that uh, is, is that you know the, those anti-Assads who are trying to uh, uh, you know uh, bring terrorist action to Russia? What, what what was that all about? And was it in fact linked to that whole situation? We don't know. I certainly don't know. And, uh, you know, we've heard all sorts of accusations. There are internal forces, uh, and you have Chechens, you have uh, um, people from the Caucasus uh, who belong to radicalized groups, radicalized Muslim groups. Russia has a huge problem with this, and, and a large part of their military officer corps now are Muslims. Uh, and I, I spoke to Putin about this in 1998 when he was head of the KGB already. Uh, and, then, and he spoke about it with great intensity and, and fervor about the danger this poses to, to, um, to Russia. And he said, by the way, to Israel also. So the, I, I don't know, you know yet that they have tracked it down more than to this uh, individual and whatever support group he had. You think there's uh, contact between Israel and Russia today? Absolutely. Even in light of what happened yesterday? Yes, I think that there is 
ongoing contact uh, it's necessary it doesn't have to be, it's not necessarily as warm as some people have uh, painted to be but uh, I, I can tell you in the past where what Putin said to us about his feelings about Israel connection, the fact that a million Russian Jews are there, that he feels it's part of Russia and his obligation to defend it. But I don't know that all his actions would actually support that, that conclusion. Could you, uh, yeah. could you clarify what he really said or what, whatever, whoever it was that said uh, that West Jerusalem should be the capital of Israel? I don't understand the euphoric reaction to this, and the people, you know, called me and said, "Wow, did you see what the Russians said?" And I said, "We well, got to read the whole thing." To me, there was a more remarkable thing, which I'll tell you in a minute. But it says that East Jerusalem belongs to the Palestinian state, right. which means all the holy places, everything. It doesn't have any qualification. It does say direct negotiations to, should determine the outcome, but it says that as we recognize East Jerusalem as the capital, we also have to acknowledge West Jerusalem. But nobody disputes that West Jerusalem is part of Israel. They don't put the embassies there They don't uh, because they lump it all together, but th- there is no challenge to that. So this is not a helpful declaration. What is interesting to me is there's no reference to settlements. Mm, good point. And, and nobody's picked up on that, but if you read that whole statement, it's not that long, and it's uh, put out by the foreign ministry, and it says regarding Palestinian-Israeli settlement, um, and... They said that there have been unilateral moves that undermine the potential for accepted international solution. They do put all of this back to the Security Council and their role as member of the quartet, et cetera, um, and that they will continue to help achieve this because they don't want to see the United States being the prime uh, sponsor. Now that the United States is back in the game, right? Uh, this is a response to that. And I had asked you this a couple of weeks ago because the uh, you know the way things look, uh, some of the parties in the quartet are going to go out of their way to try to stay involved. Uh, Absolutely. Especially watching how President Trump deals with different things and, you know, likely would want the United States to broker whatever it is that he has in mind. And well, I, we'll have to see whether the, if people want to be engaged like the Europeans, then they should stop giving all this money to, to the illegal construction on, in the West Bank, not in settlements, but the Arab illegal construction, which is dwarfs, I think, the construction in Jewish areas. Um, I think that they have to stop supporting the, the NGOs that work against the government of Israel. I think that they have a, a lot that they should do to prove that they are worthy of being part of, of a process and the failure to in England to really go after the head of the the former head of the Labour Party and you know these mild slap on the wrist is, is really uh, indicative of these guys who are are really viciously anti-Israel. Well, I don't know if that's and maybe anti-Semitic. Yeah, possibly. Um, who, who from Israel proves to them? I mean, is someone fighting the case? Is someone is someone sending folders full of uh, of documents that prove the illegal building that you're referring to? Sure. No, it's well known. It was the government of Israel that said it. They issued a formal statement this week about it. Um, By the way, the PA cut the salaries of 50,000 employees in Gaza this week. These are people who haven't worked since 2007 when Hamas took over. So they've been paying the salaries of these 50,000 police, former policemen and teachers and civil servants. So now they say you haven't worked for 10 years, we're going to start cutting your salaries. The impact of that is going to be interesting because they are a lot of the purchasing power in, in Gaza itself. But it's another one of those developments that gets almost no, no attention. So essentially they've run out of money. And right, if, they, if, they, if they wouldn't have run out of money, they wouldn't be doing that, correct? I, that, that is my assumption is that this is... Um, 
part of the belt tightening because of the money that is being withheld for because of the Taylor Force type laws and other things. Right. All right. So uh, in review, how do the majority of countries in the Middle East now view the United States? Can one episode like this completely change the impression of what they think is going to be coming from Washington? Oh, it has a big impact, but they're not certain because they don't know. They don't see yet a government completely in place. You know, there's so many jobs are open and that the infighting that continues, and we saw it this week again, um, that those are the, the, those factors are things that you hear discussed. Uh, when they come to meet, it's, it's primarily the president they see and sometimes the vice president, but it's, it's not yet, uh, I think, at the level where they're getting extensive policy uh, discussions. And you didn't see, for instance, with Abbas, uh, King Abdullah or with President Sisi, as I recall, any talk, for instance, of major increases in foreign aid or other responses to, to their needs. Was it, um, I mean, what type of encounter was it with King Abdullah? I know that there was, it was right in the midst of the whole situation with Syria, and that distracted things a bit when he was at the White House. But uh, was there anything significant that was uh, mentioned or brought up between him and the president? Yes. First of all, they're, they're dealing with the, their internal problems First and foremost, he, he, the king said that the Israeli-Palestinian thing is underpinning the region. But in fact, they talk about he has to talk about the million and a half Syrian refugees he has, and still the hundreds of thousands of Iraqis. The situation on his border with Hamas and uh, with with uh, Hezbollah and others, uh, Al Nusra, uh, Al Qaeda on on his borders, threatening him from both the Iraqi border and the Syrian border. Um, he has, faces tremendous problems of, of instability in the region, so. I think those were the primary issues, and obviously he, he, he wants more money. He does get the second largest foreign aid allocation. It's $1.7 billion. After Israel, I assume. Yes, after Israel. Um, all right, a couple of messages. Um, uh, the first is, I guess, that uh, people should keep in mind that there's a major celebration that we're ready to have May the 24th, and that's the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem, and I hope that people, as they sit down Monday night to the Seder, have an opportunity to discuss with their families when they say L'Shana Abab Yushalayim, maybe actually celebrating Jerusalem this year and now, uh, and being there at the 50th, you have never um, shied away from uh, uh, what some might think overstating the importance of being in Jerusalem for celebrations like this and actually finding the time to celebrate as opposed to mourn, which we seem to be very good at. So that's number one, is the, uh, is the big celebration coming up for the 50th anniversary on the 24th of May. Absolutely. Very important. I think there'll be a lot of things for people to see and participate in at uh, our bites. They're going to end at uh, Harazetim with a very important event on that Thursday, the 25th, I think. So people should join and go to, to the RZA, to Mizrahi uh, websites and sign up. Mizrahi.org slash YY50. And lastly, Mr. Honline, Monday night, is an opportunity for people to do what I ask them to do all year round, which is to discuss with their children and grandchildren not only past events, and we know, believe you me, um, how important past events are on Monday night when it comes to Leil HaSeder, obviously. That's what dominates the evening. But maybe a minute or two or more on the events of the day and sharing with future generations what is happening in this world, what's going on, what our role is, and uh, how so many things that uh, many people unfortunately ignore have to have attention paid to them. I think it's it, it, you know, the part of the fulfillment of the mitzvah 
Margit of talking about things is to make it relevant to young people, especially kids, about what it means today. And so much in the Haggadah is about today's events, about how do you face up to the BDS anti-Semitism, to the other challenges that we have faced uh, throughout the throughout the generation, and especially the Amda and Seul Ahmad, where it talks about what Love and Arami wanted to do to us. And there's an interesting commentary that tells us that, uh, that, that first of all, the Ramban says that, that this is always a foretelling uh, of the events from our forefathers for what we face. They're always symbolic. They, they foretell the future of the Jewish people, not just the past. And Yaakov faced three tests of, of Esav and Lavan and Yosef. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. People have to sit and learn it themselves. But Esav wanted to murder Yaakov and we have faced that many times when they try to kill us. Lavan tried to sever the connection to Torah and mitzvahs. We've seen that many times, the communists, etc., etc., and others followed that, that lead. But the trial of Yosef is even worse than Esau and Lavan because Yosef was sold because of Sina, uh, the Sina, the hatred, the internal strife between brothers between, within our community. And those conflicts that tear us apart are more destructive yeah. than the worst decree that others can put upon us. So I think uh, all of us should think about it at a time when we have all these tensions and we see so much the internal divisiveness that uh, we lost the base of Mikdash because of the, uh, the baseless hatred, so much suffering, and it continues to rend our community. Uh, that we should think about that also, that we have, each of us has a responsibility to defeat that enemy of the Jewish people. Great message. I do remind everybody that next week on Chol HaMoed, we will not have a weekly update, but two weeks from today, the Friday after Pesach, we are scheduled to again present the weekly update uh, starting at the 740 Eastern time right here at JMNAM. I take this opportunity to wish you, Mr. Honline, a Chai Kosher V'Sameach, and uh, enjoy your Yontav out there in California. In San Diego, we look forward to it, and I want to wish everybody a Chag Kasher V'Sameach and a really meaningful Sedarim. Don't rush through them. Talk about the things. It's a great chance you got your kids at the table. Talk to them about, uh, and to your parents, about all of these things. No question about it. Thank you so much. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update on this Erev Shabbos Hagadol at JM in the AM.